Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to our worship service. And have we not had a worship service today? Oh, I'm telling you. If that doesn't fire you up, your wood's wet. I just want to say welcome to all of you, and I want to thank you for coming. And if you're a guest here today, I especially want to say we are so glad you're here. And if you are looking for a church home, we're going to ask that you might consider making Central Community your permanent church home. Immediately following the service, if you would just go out in the grand foyer, we have a guest services, and you can find out all the information you need to know about our church. And we just want you to know that we're praying for you as you make that decision. Now, I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and we're so thankful that you get to worship with us. And we know we have people watching literally all over the world, so we're very thankful to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that there's more people in the world that need to experience what we've been experiencing this morning, don't you? And so in the next couple of months, we're going to have some great opportunities. We're going to have many opportunities, large opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And it starts with something as simple as Candy Rush. This is where we as a church, we need to all get involved and get on board. And as all of those children, and you know who the kids bring with them? Their parents. And we want to share with them about how we're investing in children this year. And we want them to know, if you want your kids to grow up, to know who Jesus is, we want this is the place for you to be. And then we've got our big Thanksgiving event, and we're going to need all kinds of help for that. So this is your opportunity that God is giving to you as a church that we can represent Christ and share the good news of his word. So we're in a series right now called Here's Your Sign. And we're talking about the end times. And one of the things that we talked about last week that we can all agree on is this. Jesus is coming again, isn't he? And he says, mark my words, I'm coming again. So today, I want to continue on in this series And I want to focus a little bit on something that we talked about last week because it's going to kind of set the stage for where we're going to go today. I hope you have your Bibles with you and I hope you take out the notes and I hope you keep notes and then I hope you go home and I hope you reread and I hope that you go back and look at and see, okay, now how does this impact me in my life? Because it's impacting you whether you know it or not. Do you remember that last week I showed you a picture of what the temple looked like? Remember what it looked like? It was huge, wasn't it? And I want you to remind you, or I want to remind you that one of the things I told you was is that the temple represented the permanence of the Jewish religion. The disciples and the people, when they saw this unbelievable temple, it took 46 years to build. King Herod was the master architect, and they thought nothing could ever tear this temple down except the end of the world. And so what's happening now is Jesus tells them that the end is coming. In other words, he's telling them that the temple and all of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. In fact, he goes into detail and he says, not one stone will be left on the other. And the disciples, like you and I, they're curious and they want to know, and they're puzzled by this. And so they reasoned that the only way that this could come about, that that temple, the number one wonder in the world, the temple that everybody is coming to see, the only thing that that could mean is that the end of the world is coming. Now I want to pause for just a second. And I want to just tell you a little bit about what the Bible tells us about the importance of Israel in the world today. And not just Israel, but Jerusalem. And as a people, as a congregation, 
We need to be paying attention to what's happening in that country. And here's why. There's three things that I want you to know that the Bible teaches us about this city. Here's the first one. Jerusalem is the biblical center of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but in our bedroom, we have a globe. And whenever I look at the globe, what country do you think it is that I see? The United States. Because I believe that the world revolves around the United States. My wife would tell you that she th- I think it revolves around me, but it revolves around the United States, okay? All right, now, I want you to listen very carefully to what the Bible says about the center of the world. Look at this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the center of the nations with countries all around her. There you have it. The sovereign Lord declares, if you want to know where the center of the world is, it's Jerusalem. Here's the next thing that we learn about it. Jerusalem is also the salvation center of the world. Look at what the Bible says about this. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. What does that mean, Pastor Bob? It means that salvation came to the Jews first, and then to the rest of the world. And Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified and the place where he, is, where he was risen from the dead, all takes place right there in the confines of Jerusalem. Here's the third thing I want you to know. Jerusalem is the storm center of the world. Look at this. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. All right, now, I went a little bit farther, but here's what I want you to understand, okay? What happens in Jerusalem matters. I'm gonna say that again. What happens in Jerusalem matters. You know why? Because this is the place where Jesus will return. And where is he going to return? On the Mount of Olives. Do you remember what happened? The book of Acts tells us that when Jesus was ascended into heaven, when the angels, when the disciples were all standing there looking up and the angels came, remember what they said? This Jesus who was taken up from you is what? He's coming back in the same way that you've seen him. He's coming back and he's coming back in Jerusalem and Satan knows it. So what do you think Satan's going to try and do? He's going to try and keep the Messiah from coming back. How's he doing that? Listen to me, people. The world is right now looking at Israel as the roadblock to peace. Do you understand why? Because Satan is using these nations to keep God from sending his son back to the world. 
Even right now, in our United States government, we have people who are voting and trying to get this nation against the nation of Israel. Beware. The Bible tells us, for anyone who blesses that nation will be blessed. And whoever curses that nation, what happens? They will be cursed. So, watch what's going on in the world because they impact us right here in Wichita, Kansas. All right, now, I also want to now move on now, and I want to remind you also that the people in those times in Judah and the disciples, all of them, after hearing what Jesus is saying, all of them believe that the world could come to an end at any moment. Now, I want you just to think about that for a second because that kind of puzzled me a little bit. Man, the world was really young back then, wasn't it? But the disciples believed that the world could come to an end in any minute. All right, let me look at what it says here. I went a little bit too far, so I got to make sure that I'm in the right place because I don't want to miss this, okay? Yeah, Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Let me go back to, there it is, good, sorry. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought, there it is, the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now look at this next one in the book of Acts. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So here we have it, two different places in the Bible where the people are believing that the kingdom of God could potentially come to an end, and it could come at any moment. All right, now, so my question now is this. So what evidence is there of this? Why would the disciples think this? Why would the people of Judah think this? What evidence do they have? And thank you for asking, because there's four things that they were looking at, okay? Here's the first one, turmoil in the world. You need to understand that in these days, the Jewish people, these priests, they taught their people very well. And they taught them about the things that they were to look for. And one of the things, anybody who was a good Jewish individual, they knew that turmoil in the world was a sign that Jesus was coming again. Okay, now, what was their turmoil? What do you think it was? It was the Roman government. The Roman government kept their thumbs on the people and they were hard on the people and the people hated the Romans. They were praying what? They were praying that the Messiah would come. So that's the first reason. Here's the second reason. The forerunner had come. Remember Jesus said that he was sending an Elijah and then he tells them who Elijah was. It was John the Baptist. So now the people in their minds, they're thinking, okay, we've got the turmoil in the world. We're being persecuted. The second thing that's happened is the forerunner has already come. And here's the third thing. The Messiah will appear and he will defeat his enemies. And the disciples are saying, aha, there he is. He's right in our midst. He has all the power. We've witnessed the power that this man has. There was only one more thing that they were waiting for. This is what it was the scattered Jews would return to Israel. Those were the signs that the end was coming. 
most of the people in the Jewish nation believed that they were somewhere between two and three. Remember, there were a lot of the people, they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. So they're located between two and three. The disciples are a little bit farther down the road. But now Jesus has said something that messed up everything. And what did he tell them? He said that the temple was going to be destroyed. And so now the disciples are puzzled. And they don't understand the meaning of the times. And so they ask Jesus... This is what I want to close my first part with my introduction is this. My dear friends in Christ, when you don't understand life, follow the example of the disciples and go to Jesus because he has the answer to all things. Amen? Amen. Would you please stand out of respect for God's word? As I read from the book of Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 14. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, as we look to the future, May we not be deceived. As we keep our eyes on you, that's the key. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right. So the disciples and Jesus have made their trip from the temple They've gone through the eastern gate, which by now, if you don't know this, is boarded shut, and it's guarded by the Jordanians. The reason it's boarded shut and guarded by the Jordanians is because there's a lot of conflict between the religious um, leaders and the religious people of that day. You know why the gate is boarded shut? To keep Messiah from coming. As you go through this gate, the eastern gate, the first thing that you would have been through at that time is you would have gone through the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what's there today? A huge cemetery. You know why that cemetery is there? Because the Jewish people believe that the Messiah is going to come, but he would not enter through anything where he could be considered unclean. What they forget is that when Jesus comes again, the dead are going to be raised, right? Case closed. So the disciples and Jesus walk up through the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're now sitting on the top of the Mount of Olives, some 500 feet above the city of Jerusalem, and they're just gazing over the incredible, magnificent, holy city. And the disciples are curious. 
They've asked Jesus questions, and the first question they asked him is, okay, so what about this temple? When is this gonna happen? And then, when will the end times come? Do you understand why those two questions are there? Because they think if the temple's going down, Jesus must be talking about the end times. And they're curious, who wouldn't be? Especially when you have the man who has the answers to everything sitting in your midst. And so what did they do? They asked Jesus, tell us, what will the signs be? What are we supposed to look for? And then like E.F. Hutton, they all be quiet and listen. (laughs) Jesus tells them, this is how I want you to live in these times. And he begins by telling them, don't be deceived. He goes, guys, you know me. We've spent all this time together. You know me inside and out. I'm telling you, there are going to be people who are going to come and they're going to say that they are me. Don't be deceived by that. Now, I want to tell you something. You know what? If some woman were to come to the door and say, hi, honey, I would be a little bit shocked. And then if she said, I'm Lori, your wife, I would know right away that's not my wife. You know why? Because I'm with my wife every day. I know her strengths. I know her one or two weaknesses. (laughs) I know her one or two weaknesses, but here's the thing is, because I know her, I can't be deceived. And Jesus tells us, guys and world, don't be deceived. Remember last week we talked about there's two ways, two things that we need to do to keep from being deceived. Number one is knowledge. The more time you spend in the Word of God, the more you will know the Word of God, and the more the Word of God will be in you, and you will have relationship. And because of relationship, you will not be deceived. And the second thing, obedience. Obedience tells the world that you belong to Jesus, right? And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. And then he does this. He says, now I'm going to tell you about some things that you need to look for. And he mentions three things. Remember what they were? War, famine, and earthquakes. But I want to pause for just a moment. I want to remind you, Jesus tells us, when these three come, they are just the beginning. Okay? Just the beginning. And so I did a little research And I found an individual, um, a theologian, who had gone all the way back to 3600 B.C. And since 3600 B.C., what he has found is that there have been more than 14,500 wars. Now, the next question that you want to know, obviously, is, well, I wonder how many people were killed. He estimates more than 3.6 billion people have been killed in wars throughout the world. But then he did something that I thought was really interesting. He took all of the time from 3600 BC to where we are today, and out of all of that time, and he put it into a percentage, and here's what he says. There has only been 8% of the time, out of all time, only 8% of the time, when the world has known world peace. 92% of the time, our world has been at war. But we also know something else the Bible tells us, that these wars are going to increase, and it's all going to culminate at a place called Megiddo. 
where the war of all wars will happen, the battle of Armageddon. Now, here's what I need you to understand and what God has just put on my heart. I got to quit thinking that my, peop- that my enemies are the people in this world. This is a good versus evil. That's where we're at. And so when I look at all of the things that are happening in this world that are not of God, I'm trying to keep my focus off of the fact that they are people, but the fact is, is that this is Satan's work. It's evil against good. And it makes it easier for me to separate the individual from what Satan's trying to do. All right, let me ask you a question. You may think, what a stupid question, but that's okay. How do you know a baby's getting ready to be born? There's two things that happen, right? Ladies, correct me if I'm wrong. Number one, contractions become more frequent. Number two, pain intensifies. Jesus tells us, he uses the example of birth pains. He doesn't use death pains, he uses birth pains. Have you ever wondered why? Here's why. Frequency of contractions and intensity of pain equals a baby. What the Lord is telling us is that in your life, you're going to have persecution. You're going to have very difficult times. It's going to be very painful. But in the end, something glorious happens. You have a baby, right? I can remember after Lori had our children, I got next to her bed and I would say to her, I go, didn't that hurt? (laughs) Didn't I? And you know what she told me? She goes, it hurt really bad. But the end result is worth it. Here's what I believe that God wants us to hear. Yes, in the end times, it's going to be difficult. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, you're going to have to stand in the gap for me. But my son, my daughter, something glorious is coming, and it will be well worth it. And you know what that is? It's called heaven. And heaven is a place. And in this last four or five months, I've seen God take more people to heaven in my life than I've seen in a long time. But I want you to remember what I just said. He is taking them to heaven. He is removing the saints from this world, and he's taking them to their glorious home. You know why? Because they've been through the persecution. They've been through the disappointments. And now God is saying, come home. And he says, welcome to your eternal reward. No more pain. No more suffering. Just Joy, unexplainable joy, right? And that's what we hope for. All right, the next thing Jesus does now is now he gets real distinctive when it comes to the believers. And I want you to look at this. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, I want you just to look at those words for a second. Have you seen those words before? Do you remember in our series that we just did called Marching Orders in Matthew chapter 10? Don't these words bring a familiar ring to you? 
Look at this. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. That's what Jesus had told the disciples, right? He had told them, don't worry, it's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. So when Jesus tells them these are the things that are going to happen, they're like, well, you've already told us that. We've already accepted that. In fact, we've experienced it already. So what's Jesus saying to us? Here's what he's saying. When you wear the jersey of Jesus Christ, you're an enemy of the world. When you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the world will hate you. And you know why? They'll hate you simply because you belong to Jesus. When I go work out at the gym, I have a couple shirts that I like to wear. My favorite one I like to wear is the one that says, if Jesus played basketball, he'd play basketball in Lawrence, Kansas. Okay? <laughs> now, that word Jesus is really big on the shirt. And I want to tell you something. When I wear that shirt, or I wear the 316 shirt, people stay clear. Not because they're trying to be mean, but they know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And many of them know that I'm a pastor. And so you know what happens? They automatically walk in the opposite direction. Jesus tells us, when the world looks at you and they see the things that you are doing, calm down. It's because you belong to me. You know what's interesting? In some of the polls back in the 70s and 80s that some of the different research individuals would take and they would ask the question, are you religious, are you not? You know, all of the religious polls. And you know what? 70 and 80% of people in the United States, you know which box they would check? Religious. A lot of them would check Christian, okay? Now, the latest poll has come out. You know what the number one box that is checked now when people are asked about their religious background? You know what the number one box is? None. None. That's the box that everybody's, that most people are now checking. I have no religious affiliation. One of the things that we're seeing happening right now in our country is people are going to church less. We've fallen right into the trap of Satan. Remember, what does Satan want to do? He wants to separate us. And when he can separate us, then he can conquer us. And he tells us those lies. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to be among the body of believers. You don't need to use your gifts. You just need to be where you are and just be comfortable. And that's the lie. So let me ask you, so what does this look like in your life? Here's how it looks like in, what it looks like in my life. I'm a firm believer in, and you know this by now, that what the world is doing right now is giving us more and more choices. I mean, now it's the mask, now it's the vaccine, abortion, critical race theory. I mean, it's giving us all kinds of choices. And I want you to understand what the philosophy is behind this. When we have choices, 
we form groups, and we form groups, it's easy to separate us and to conquer us, okay? Everybody clear on that? So this is what it looks like in my world. In my world, I live in maze. And you know, right now, one of the things that I found out is that there are a group of individuals who are running for the maze school board that believe in the critical race theory. And they want to teach it to our kids. And in fact, they are backed by a financial group that's helping them so they can get reelected. I want you to know that I'm aware of two Christians who are running for board members in Mays. One of them goes to our church. He answered the call of Jesus. And all he wants to do is he wants to be on that board and he wants to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to look out for our kids. That's what it looks like in my world. And you know what? I've heard the call. And I'm going to be very obedient and open to what God wants us to do. Because here's the thing I want. I don't want my grandkids to grow up believing that there are races. There are people groups. And I also want people to know this. I want my grandkids to know that God loves everyone. And you know why? Because every one of us, I don't care if my color is different than yours, every one of us is an image bearer of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. I'm going to love those people who may think different than I do, but I'm going to be a voice for the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what I believe he's called us to do. And so what Jesus is telling us is this. Just simply, when you represent me, be ready. That's all he's saying. All right, now, so let's go one step. We're almost done, okay? Look what the scripture says here. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So this is what Jesus is saying. There are going to be many who are going to cave under pressure. He says there are going to be many who are going to leave the church, and they're even going to break relationship with believers. Well, all we have to do is go back to the parable of the seed, right? Sowing the seed. And Jesus tells us all about that. There are some whose faith isn't going to be as deep as others. And you know what? They're going to fall away when the world comes and puts the pressure on them. And that's what Jesus is saying is going to happen. Now, here's what I want you to remember. At that point in time, it's going to be real easy for us to think Satan's winning. But I want to remind you of something. Our goal in life is not a life of discipleship. Our goal, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, is completion of discipleship. Look at this. I went too far. Discipleship is the process of making someone like Christ. Okay, we do that in our worship services. We do that in our Sunday school classes. We do that by giving you opportunities to use your gifts and serve. We do that in life groups. That's all part of discipleship, and discipleship is a long process. But here's what I want you to remember. The goal of discipleship is to complete it. So what does Jesus say that goal is? Here's the answer to that question. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that the son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What's Jesus saying? Our goal in life is to reflect the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. The greatest compliment that you can get is when somebody says to you, you know what? You're looking more and more like Jesus every single day. 
I want to remind you again, when all of these things begin to happen, it's going to be real easy for us to think that the church is failing. Let me just remind you of something. In the New Testament, whenever the church was under persecution, what happened? The church grew. Look at this, case in point. In Africa, in the 1900, there were 8.7 million Christians. In 2025, 600 million Christians. And that nation has been under great persecution, right? But look at this. There are more worshipers in China on any given Sunday than in the United States. And that's a communist country. So as the persecution comes, that's when we dig in our heels and God goes to work and the church will flourish. All right, so that's all of the negative stuff that God gives to the disciples. And now he ends with this. I want you to look at this. But one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Guys, when you signed up to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you also got the word that as we become him, guess what? Every day, we gotta pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. So this is no surprise, right? We knew that this was gonna be a life of difficulty, but here's what Jesus is telling us now. First comes the labor pains, then comes the baby. First comes the crown of thorns, then comes the crown of life. And he says, and this is how you do it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep your eyes looking up. And here's where the power comes from. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious without fault and with great joy. I want to close with this. The Lord ends this section and he gives us something very distinctive, very solid about what we will see and then the end will come. What is it? The gospel will be preached to all the world. When that happens, you know the end is very near. Right now, the Bible talks about, and I said a little bit, it talks about um, people groups. Right now, from the beginning, there's a group that has done this, and they believe that there were some 24,000 people groups. Right now, they believe that there are 260 people groups throughout the world that have not heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have said 51 of those are deaf. The others are all in hostile areas. And so, what do you think it is that God would have us be involved in? Discipling our people so that we can become more like Christ and doing what we can to take the gospel to all of the world. Why? Because then Jesus says the end will come. Will you bow your heads with me?